Welcome. Today, you are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration as we bring together the most successful tech leaders in the Nordics region. My name is Connor Leyland, and I help tech companies to scale up utilizing talented freelancers. But today, I am your host. Before we delve deeper into this, let's work our way around the room and make some introductions. Bashar, would you like to kick us off? Yes. Um... First of all, thank you, Connor, for organizing this, this podcast. And uh, it's great to be here with uh, other speaker guests, uh, Elvis and Steve. So, yeah, myself is Vishal. And uh, uh, just a brief introduction about myself. I'm product manager in uh, one of the tech company uh, called TradeShift. Uh, we build uh, software uh, for B2B uh, businesses uh, where buyers and suppliers do the, their transactions using our software. And uh, as far uh, as the, the today's topic is concerned, I'm super psyched and, and uh, quite thrilled. And I'm uh, excited to hear other people's opinions as well about this interesting topic of uh, team and team culture. So yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you, Connor. Okay, stuff. Thank you for that, Vishal. Steve? Hi, I'm uh, Steve Cross. I'm one of the engineering managers at Linus eHealth, a health tech company connecting coaches and clients. For the relevance of this podcast, uh, talking about culture within teams, I have three product teams and one platform team, and I'm looking forward to uh, talking about how we do maintain culture within them teams. Great stuff. Elvis, if you'd like to give us a quick background on yourself. Hi. Yeah, thank you. I'm Elvis. Thank you for the invite. And yes, I'm also super excited to be here and then to share the stage with you guys. Um, so yeah, I'm a team lead. I just joined actually Corti, a company that does um, health software in the health sector. And I just joined this week. So basically I have a new perspective on a new culture and then maybe or even this will trigger some uh, some thinking about it. Um, and the relevance for this podcast, I think would be nice for me to like understand from, from you guys how you work, but also I've been volunteering. So created a culture in a volunteering environment. I've been a lecturer and I created the culture. I had to create the culture in the classroom and then as a team lead within a team. So uh, maybe I'll, hopefully I'll bring on the table some different angles from different perspectives. That's great stuff. Thank you for your introductions. Now that we've established a little bit of context about each of you, let's move on to the topic in focus. You all have a question or a statement on creating and maintaining team culture. As usual, I'll work my way around the room, pose your questions and get a little bit of background on the reasons behind them. Each of you have the opportunity to discuss the topic and each sub-question. So let's start with Steve. Where is culture defined and who defines it? It's a very simple question with a very complicated answer. The short version is we do. As uh, employees of a company, we define the culture. But the long answer is where does it come from originally? And uh, for this, I've had some reflection over the last couple of weeks, thinking back over my career. And uh, in each company, the culture has been subtly different. We've all had the same values of collaboration and uh, wanting to help each other and just being there for each other. And we've all heard the words family when it comes to a business. But uh, actually, the culture is very largely defined, in my opinion, by the original founders. You know, when I look back and I think about the last company I worked in, uh, we had a very inclusive and uh, fun-loving culture. We had all these traditions such as, you know, Cake Thursday, where we just get our cakes and we'd sit around the table and we'd eat them and we'd just banter. We had the culture of, uh, on a Friday, we'd hang around after work, we'd have a few beers, we'd just have a good time. And in the previous company before that, it was a digital agency. And uh, we found ourselves uh, going out quite often. We found ourselves at restaurants and maybe visit, visiting other companies, uh, countryside. And then I look back and I think, yeah, in each case, that's kind of reflected the founder. In the last company, the founders were very fun-loving people. They love to hang out with their employees. They love to uh, just be there, part of the social scene. And in the previous one, it was a slightly more 
um, cosmopolitan culture where we wanted to get to know people, we wanted to see and experience new things. And this has been the case all the way through my career. And right now in Linus eHealth, we've got a very um, kind of health focused culture. We have similar traditions. Instead of Cake Thursday, we have Workout Wednesday. We have Run and Dip Friday. We have the same collaboration. We have the same uh, cohesion and wanted to be there for each other. And dare I say family, but uh, you know, the, the slight culture changes are there. So that's where I believe culture comes from. It's a really interesting take there, Steve. Uh, Bashar, would you like to give your input? Yeah, well, uh, thanks, uh, Steve, for sharing the world culture, what you have been exposed to. And when, when you uh, were like uh, pointing towards the direction that it starts from, it's the core, which is the founder, that they kind of like set uh, the, the culture. It's absolutely true. And uh, I can just uh, add one more thing to it because uh, my experience is no different than yours. Uh, that when I joined this company, um, this was kind of like a startup five years ago. And, uh, you know, um, we would actually, the founders will sit with us uh, in the same, you know, office and uh, we'll meet by the coffee machine. And uh, uh, it was such a friendly and open culture back then. Uh, and, and, you know, people are like on their roller skate, uh, moving uh, through the office and having I don't know these dart guns, like just for fun, people are playing around in the office. And yeah, it, it, it was, um, I'm, I'm talking in terms of past tense because it was, and it changed over the course because these founders kind of like drifted a bit away from the team and, and that, that atmosphere were, which they built in the beginning. And it kind of changed uh, later on. So I, I completely, uh, uh, believe that it starts from uh, the, the founder or the people who uh, who are at the core of the company, and uh, then of course, it, and then it then it expands, right? Uh, then people also get into the similar vibe, and they also contribute into it, right? Uh, because I remember uh, I still had uh, many of uh, colleagues; they would still, you know, shy away from these. Uh, most happening corners of the office and uh, they will sit in their own corner and uh, they would probably not feel so much aligned, but at least the, the atmosphere was there. And then later on, it just uh, faded away and uh, more and more people. And then of course, a lot of changes happened. You know, COVID came and layoffs came and, and uh, it, it kind of really changed the culture, which just the last thing, which really had significant impact on the on the work and uh, the quality of work uh, we were producing. Yeah, definitely. I think some of the points that you touch on there regarding COVID is something that we'll definitely come back to later. Some really interesting points there. Elvis, what's your take on where culture is defined and who defines it? I, I think uh, Steve that did an amazing job of defining it. It's us that are creating it. It's us that actually define it and change it all the time. And I do agree 100% that it's the founders that are the ones that dictate the initial, let's say, uh, velocity of the culture and some rituals. And I think with, when you said rituals, Steve, you actually nailed it because, for instance, I've been in a company and we used to do high fives when you... Uh, when we and then you literally come into the office and go and high five every single colleague it didn't matter which team it was right we were a small startup back then to high five 100 people maybe it takes a while but for high fiving 30 it's it's different right and this um you know rituals then of course they're embedded in you and then you start to have ambassadors of them right so this is a very important i think thing that you can actually spread and maintain the culture by having some ambassadors that are very very well absorbed in the culture and they can actually transmit it to different departments or unlock exactly what um, 
you know, that those people that are sitting in a corner, maybe there's somebody that's a bit more extroverted and can go and kind of pull them in and things like that. Unfortunately, like um, because COVID came into the conversation, yes, the lockdowns and the idea that we started to be remote, unfortunately removed some of these um, rituals because they were like face-to-face -face rituals. And I think that's where the disconnect started. In my I'd mind. like to uh, talk a little bit about these disconnects, which happen as a company grows, as we scale into more and more. Um, I, I, wanna, I just want to keep it as engineers because this is a technical podcast. And uh, if we start talking about other areas of the business, then we start treading on some uh, cheeky ground because the culture in various areas of the business is obviously different. So if I just focus on engineers and as we scale the engineering teams, we tend to do it at uh, quite a steady pace, you know, due to the supply of engineers that are available and uh, just the maximum rate of recruitment that we can achieve. It means that we don't actually have this big bubble of engineers suddenly coming in with a fresh culture. So when we talk about maintaining the culture and the rituals and the reinforcement that comes from the founders, I've often found it actually comes from within the teams themselves as well. As we add one engineer into a team of four, then all of a sudden that one engineer can suddenly uh, uh, feel the, you know, what is accepted. They want to fit in. They want to feel like they belong as part of that company. And as such, they want to maybe modify the way that they're, they're used to working into this new way of working and therefore absorb the culture that was already there. It's, uh, it really is quite interesting, but uh, without the correct change management in place, for example, if we spin up a new team with 10 people all of a sudden, then that team will be so far outside of the uh, the expected culture that they could be outliers and, they, and the outcomes from that team might not be exactly what we expect. So we have to be a little bit careful when, we, when it comes to introducing engineers into teams. Oh yeah, I want to, uh, you have a very good point there. Um, retention, it's also kind of comes into the same thing, right? Because in IT, we have this trend, which I, to be honest, I don't quite agree with that after two and a half years, an engineer moves to another place, which for me is like, you kind of were just now at your 120% potential of delivering impact. And then you're moving to the next project, but this has a huge impact on, on teams. And then at least in my case, I was lucky that I've been in some companies where we had engineers that were seven years there. I left after six years. So, you know, have, basically you could be the ambassador because you still had a few of these long running engineers that were there for, for a very long time. And they could still kind of keep the same culture, even though new people were coming and going, you know, so, yeah, very, very good point. Steve. I'm loving some of the insights that you've put forward there, the rituals, it coming from the founders and interactive environment, as you're saying there, new, new engineers coming into the company can also affect the culture. One thing that I would ask Elvis is a question that you've put forward is how do we preserve or heal team culture after a round of layoffs? Yeah, this is a very tricky one, to be honest. It, it's very, very tricky because there's no um, right way to do layoffs. I mean, there's worse and better ways, but there's not a right way to do it, you know? So it's always going to have a very big impact on your company. Sometimes, you know, like you as a manager, especially if you are a very high level manager, as you are a C-level, usually the C-level comes and does this kind of a communication. You need to look composed enough to, you know, like to transmit a clear message, but then you don't want to be inhuman. So you don't want to be too rigid. So it's a very, very fine balance into, because I think it all starts with how it's communicated. It's very, very important how it's communicated and how transparent it is, but that you need to leave some empathy there. If you're trying to kind of robotically delete this empathy because you don't want to transmit panic or things like that, which is fair enough, you know, but the, the, the line, I think it's so thin and it's so hard to actually nail it. I've seen, for instance, like, as we all know, recently, lots of big techs have done, um, layoffs, you see it, some even go and do it completely transparent on LinkedIn. Some are keeping it behind the scenes due to like partnerships or other things. 
So yeah, I think it needs to be a transparent, clear communication. I think that's the thing that will make the least damage. Damage will be done. Unfortunately, you cannot risk that. And I think, you know, everybody understands, especially in COVID layoffs, everybody really understood. Maybe now in 2021, people were a bit more like, okay, again, so, you know, and I also believe, for instance, as a company, I respect companies that are saying we're going to cut slightly more, so we do it only once then to do a minimal layoff. And then everybody sits there on their tiptoes thinking, is this going to happen again? You know, so try to clear up the people's minds, you know, do it, cut more than necessary. That's my advice at least. And do it transparent and with enough empathy. So you're not too robotic about it and, you know, communicate clearly and transparently and then it will heal itself if you do those, because you will have exactly the people that are all professionals and we understand it and then we can recover from it. But if the transparency lacks, I think it puts doubt and doubt is a thing that rottens your mind, you know, so that's why I'm going to put this one out on the floor. Does anybody else have any input? Steve, I'd like to come across to you. Yes, I'd like to uh, add a little bit into uh, the whole idea that layoff should be done in one big batch rather than as a drip feed. And this all feeds into psychological safety. So when people are not feeling safe in their position, then they tend to close down a little bit or worse, they'll start gossiping amongst themselves. And gossip is an absolute culture killer because um, what, what goes around in these echo chambers is generally without the input of reality. And, and every engineer is an adult and they should be treated like adults. You know, I'd rather talk I'd rather management came down and said, look, our company is not doing well. We're really not doing well. We need to let go of a bunch of people or we're all going to lose. And uh, then we, as leaders, we could talk around that in our one-on-ones with our engineers. We can actually talk to this and we can say, you know, we know why we had to do this, but uh, hopefully, hopefully we won't have to do it again. It's important we don't overpromise and say this won't happen again because nobody knows the future, particularly as uh, with current world events, you know, as we're in an economic downturn, nobody can really anticipate even the best of companies how they're going to perform. So we need to just leave that little bit of a wiggle room for ourselves so we can communicate the truth. And that's what it's about. It's about communicating the truth at all time and keeping the trust of the engineers because when engineers feel safe in themselves, then they can hold on to that culture that uh, they believe in. They can keep it and they can still shine within their team. What about Bashar? What about Bashar? Do you have any input on this one? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think uh, Elvis, really good question. Um, and uh, the point you made is uh, is also very important. I think both of you, Stephen and Elvis. Um, one is uh, that how uh, empathical the, the, the company is when, when uh, it is laying off uh, its employees. And this is uh, in the pretext of, uh, you know, some unexpected events, like uh, in the past it was COVID, now it's a recession. Uh, so there can be any excuse, but how it is communicated and how it is, it is done is what most important thing is, in my experience. Uh, so my company did lay off during the COVID time as well. And as Steve said, that it really, uh, you know, through the, this through this uh, wave of uncertainty across the organization and suddenly people became worried and concerned about their existence in the company and then they they went into gossip as as Steve said and it's definitely not uh, uh, healthy for for the the team and the culture and the whole environment of the company so it really uh, backfired in the sense that people started leaving the company because they felt less trusted and also, as Elvis said, that how uh, it is done, how it is communicated is so crucial and so critical that I think my company failed it because I can I can really uh, share it from the first hand experience, right? Um, 
in in these times it's important for company to think twice and two step ahead when they are making these decisions of course they they cannot uh, uh, you know avoid taking these uh, decisions because they need to mitigate this impending uh, risk or, or or threat what they are going to be experiencing in the near future but how uh, how they deal with this uh, with it is going to define their future so so what happened when company uh, did these layoff and not communicated properly as i said that people started worried about their existence in the company and they they started leaving the company also uh, from another organization i heard that with with the layoff people were treated as if they were fired which means that their accounts were frozen right in, uh, in you know in the hour when they it was communicated that they were part of the layoff this is the worst thing a company can do these people and i heard like long timers who, who who were there in the company for like 7 years 8 years they were uh, they were laid off in a firing way this is this is completely completely bad for a company and its a reputation because these people are definitely not uh, going to be you know uh, saying good words about this company in, in various forums uh, so my advice would be in, 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 as i said like they, these are inevitable you cannot uh, you know bypass or or uh, safeguard yourself you have to go into into the into the storm but how consciously you go and how conscious consciously you you deal with it that's what uh, is really important so one last thing from my side on this topic is that um at least i i understand when company you know freeze the accounts and they 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 block all the accesses because they they might assume that now people are being laid off and they are you know morally affected and they are insecure and in fear they might do any stupid thing might might be you know hurting intellectual property or damaging something in the company i completely understand that part but at the same time you can you can freeze the account but you uh, you can still allow them to be in the office and give them proper send off this is going to give the positive uh, message to these people who being laid off and to other uh, you know to, in in the culture as uh, as well so i think it's very important in a time like these how company respond and how they do the layoff i'd like to talk a little bit more about uh, retaining culture during layoffs because there's something that we need to really carefully manage and that's when the transition of culture moves from a positive thing into a negative thing so we talk about gossip being a very negative thing and we we I'm, i don't know about you elvis but it sounds like vishal and myself have had similar experiences where a company has laid off people and then we've allowed the culture of negativity to go unchecked it wasn't uh, it was it wasn't um, nipped in the bud early enough and therefore it just ran rampant through the company and it did have negative effects with people leaving the most uh, talented people looking for um, employment opportunities elsewhere and leaving the company a, a real husk of itself and this has happened a couple of times to me and i'm not quite sure how to address the challenge of knowing when that uh, negative culture is creeping in too much i mean right now we have regular conversations at least i do with my engineers and i'm asking them after every layoff i ask them i say what uh, how do you feel about this uh, how is it impacting you do you feel safe is there anything i can do to reassure you and you know we talk about uh, the supply of engineers and we talk about various things which really put them uh, minds at ease but uh, 
you know, it's, it's so hard to get in front of once that snowball's rolling down the hill. Oh, I have some comments on, on that one as well, um, because you brought some, some nice things. Um, one thing that I think it should be a must to be done after layoffs is that HR should have regular one-on-ones with all the league. You are a team lead, which means you have a team, the HR should, like the people's team or whatever you call it nowadays, should have immediately regular checks with the leads because you check the temperature and this is the best way to communicate. So you're going to break chain of command as like, it doesn't go through the, you know, VPs and whatever you go directly with every lead. That's my, one of my advices towards the human resources people. But then there's another very interesting aspect of layoffs is that usually the engineers are protected. We have not brought this one, right? So usually you lay off the other people, but you leave the engineers alone because you are like, yeah, we still need to build a product in order to survive. Otherwise we're not going to survive. Right. So, but what you do is like, you are not um, hiring back. So you don't backfill the positions of the engineers that leave. And this is a very, very important thing because in 2020, it really happened in many companies that engineers were leaving, the economics were not there. So the companies decided not to back fill them, but then when they, they, when they were forced to do the layoffs, they did not communicate. Some companies did not communicate properly. We did not fire engineers because we did not backfill X, Y, Z positions, you know, because that will at least even out a bit to the rest of the organization. That is not like the engineers are special, even though they are semi-special in this case, because you are the handcrafter, but you know, it, it, I think it, it puts the mind at ease of the rest to some extent of why uh, it happens in this way. Or literally communicated exactly as I said, engineers are the one building the product. Unfortunately, we cannot get rid of them because it's very, the onboarding in, uh, in that is very long as well. You know, so. Yeah, uh, just last point, like uh, as Steve said in the beginning, that there's uh, there's nothing against as uh, as a company, right? Because uh, there's nobody sitting up there in the high table and conspiring against you as an individual, right? This is this is the very course of the uh, the the global economy. Like if we talk about the present times, so the, the, these are things that are bound to happen, and nobody can prevent them from happening. But when they happen, how do how do we deal with them? And that's, that's the important question this company who starts laying off should be asking questions to themselves. Some really good inputs there. And I think an underlying theme has been the COVID pandemic. Looking back, especially very relevant to the, the layoffs, the layoffs topic that you've just been discussing. So Vishal, I'd propose this question to yourself. How can we build team culture in the new normal hybrid working environment? Yes. Um, so as much as I'm going to be answering, but I would be also looking forward to hear, uh, you know, Steve and uh, Elvis uh, input on this. So what I feel, um, it has dramatically changed the, the, the office environment. There's no more office as it, uh, it used to exist before COVID, right? Uh, where we were all in the office and everybody was there. We would gather in the room, talk together face to face everything has changed. Now, even though we, we are back into offices, uh, office is open and uh, companies are trying, my company is trying all the possible ways by, you know, organizing different type of events and, you know, uh, having special uh, like lunches and uh, uh, yeah, trying all the possible ways to pull people in the office. But I guess uh, this is not going to happen that uh, you know, before as we were, uh, now people are really enjoying the hybrid model that uh, sometime they, they work from home and, uh, you know, few days they want to come to office. Uh, in my company, people don't want to come to office, most of them, because they are so much having good time with, uh, you know, work from home. 
So uh, the the problem it has posed posed now, like I like to go to office because uh, you know for me it's such a nice routine that I I leave the bed and I look forward to push myself out of my apartment, and you know be on the bike in Copenhagen. You you love that when you're in Copenhagen, right? You you take your bike, go to office, um, get the fresh air, and then of course uh, you meet all your colleagues who whoever are there. Uh, then you have the lunch breaks and you know coffee breaks and you you talk to people. It's it's a completely different experience. Um, the problem now is that if my team has uh, eight members and I'm just like taking a hypothetical example that out of eight, seven are in the office, but one is working from home, we we have to mandatorily be on Zoom. Now, uh, flipping this situation, because this is the reality that only one person is off in office and uh, seven are uh, on the remote location. Um, this has exponentially expanded uh, my whole workday. So I, I'm like constantly in the Zoom meetings. And I'm having hard time as, as a product manager. I, I manage two teams. Uh, I need to think a lot. Uh, I like to communicate a lot. So before COVID, I would really just walk up to the table and you know talk to the engineer or other stakeholders. Now for even simple things, I have to book a meeting because all the people, they have already their calendars booked with other kind of meetings. So this has posed really great challenge to me to collaborate with my, my own team as well as other stakeholders. So this has really challenged me a lot. And I feel that I'm mostly spending time in the Zoom calls rather than doing actual productive work. So this is what I'm, I'm truly suffering. And that's what I wanted to bring uh, to the table to hear views from other speakers. Yeah, so it's open to the floor. I think it's a really relevant question, this, given the new hybrid model that is becoming ever frequent within organisations. So, Steve, would you like to have an input on this one? Um, yeah, so a lot of the things that Vishal has been talking about have been kind of from internally within the team. We're talking about cross-team collab collaboration from within the team. As an engineering manager, I'm kind of looking at my team to making sure they're all working effectively together. I don't particularly care how they do it as long as they agree on it themselves. You know, they're very empowered to work on this, but I do put some frameworks in place. I will suggest to the team that if you're going to work remotely, make just pick a day and all work remotely at the same time and then all being together at the same time. And then that kind of confusion is mitigated. However, uh, one thing we like to do in Linus uh, from the very, very first interview is... Um, ensure that the candidates know that uh, should they feel the need to work from home, particularly if they come from another country, that that option is there for them. So wherever it's uh, legally compliant and tax compliant, we let people work from uh, their remote countries for like a month, if that's what they need, if there's potentially religious reasons or if they need to see family or if they've, they've got something going on back home. It's important that we offer that space to them. We've all been through COVID. We've all uh, we've all had them three or four kind of three or four month experiences where the first time it was great. It was spring and we were all at home and we were, we were baking bread and the house smells nice and the flowers are blooming. And then the second time, if you remember, was when um, it was heading into winter and that was uh, that was a longer one. I think that was about six months that my company just sent everybody home. And um, what I found was, yeah, for the first two or three months, it was great. It was awesome. But then we started to lose touch and we started to lose connection with each other. And more importantly, we lost connection with the vision of the company. Um, so all the little events that happen, all the little water uh, water cooler talks, all the all when somebody's uh, laid off, for example, people don't have that connection with their leaders to say, okay, what happened? Am I safe? We, we can't really dive into that. So we try to limit the exposure of working from home. 
um, not as much as possible, but to within reasonable limits. But we certainly don't uh, exclude people from doing it because people need that space. And when people have that space and when they come back, we find that uh, they, have, they have such clarity of mind again. They've got that uh, space in the brain where they can offer critical thinking. And uh, when, they do, when they're building things, they're actually looking at what they're building rather than just following some designs that somebody else made. They're proud of the things that they build. We find that a huge uptick. So, uh, yeah, I really do encourage people to work from home. And that's for the issue of always being in Zoom meetings. I mean, <laughs> um, we try not to have too many meetings, quite frankly. it's um, If we're in a position where we have to schedule around everybody's calendars, then I'll be looking at people's calendars and saying, why are you in all these meetings? So there's things we could do to mitigate this uh, scheduling conflict as well. Definitely. Elvis, what's your take on this question? Yeah, well, it's a very, very good question. And I've had a very interesting experience because I moved remote two months before COVID kicked in. So to some extent, compared to other people, I had an advantage that I already created an office as a separate room in my apartment. I had a very clear delimitation between work and home because that was one of the first things that happened. And I think it damaged kind of the culture because people would not understand when they are done with work. And then it started spilling a bit more and then you it was weird we all started overworking or underworking because you couldn't actually do it uh, well but at least the advantage was that we're all remote right we're all in a lockdown so we it was not a hybrid thing it was a pure remote thing and to be honest the tooling on that one was much better than the tooling on a hybrid environment right where now we could just use like some kind of online board you're doing on that everything was online it was much easier i think the problem comes when you're having a hybrid meeting and for instance now in uh, at QWERTY, i've been um, in three onboarding meetings in which we're a few at hq and someone remote right and then if you don't have the right uh, equipment the right conferencing tools and whatever it's really really bad experience it actually sucks you're like, oh, I cannot connect the camera, so let's pull this laptop and sit next to each other in, let's say, post-pandemic when COVID is still around. So, you know, it's like you're breaking some other rules for, uh, it, it's, yeah, it's it's not optim optimal at all. Luckily, there are companies like, for instance, my former company, Airtem, that is actually building tools for this, like a, a conferencing tools. To be honest, I can tell you that the thing that I missed the most in the last three months, it's having great, um, great conferencing equipment. <laughs> because, you know, and then it, for instance, we, we actually had a um, hybrid session of a UX um, research session, right? But then you need to have a dedicated person that actually takes this, uh, looks at messages that somebody writes them and puts them on post-it notes and puts them on a board. So because we had only one employee remote and then the rest of us were in the office. So, you know, like a brainstorming session, then you almost need to have like an assistant for the people that are remote and it becomes, yeah. It's uh, overhead basically. And I do agree with the disconnects and then the disconnects are coming from, you can try to have, we try to have, for instance, water cooler meetings still, but now to have them remote. The problem is that even with breakout rooms, it's a bit weird because then you're breaking out directly to that room. So you don't hear the conversation. So you cannot pick up a parallel conversation. Our brain can listen to almost three, four conversations at the same time. You know, but you cannot do that with breakout rooms. And then basically if you're having this water cooler meeting, Usually there's two people that are just doing an exchange of a conversation and the other shine to, to jump because you can see like here with the microphones, it's not the same. One, one talks, it kind of kills the microphone of the other person. It's not as natural as you'll be in an environment. So you cannot have this nice jumping from one topic to the other one to make it more inclusive. Usually you have maybe two colleagues talking about a game for almost the entire, um, you know, water cooler meeting. So that's 
I think it's very hard to jump in in this uh, in this environment. You know, there's something I'd like to dive in a little bit. Uh, something you said about underworking and overworking when working remotely. I feel this also happens live. It happens in the office as well. And this is very much a culture thing. Are we giving them too much work to do? Are we setting the expectations too high where they feel they have to uh, commit too much work during the uh, workday? And if they're underworking, then are we not offering them enough incentive? Are we not building the, the culture of success and ambition and, and just aligning to a vision? If, if I experienced some engineers were underworking, then I would question their motivation and wonder, why are we not motivating them? What are they missing? And then invariably, it would come down to... Uh, yeah, they're not sensing that connection with the company, the, the real feeling of pride of what they build. Because when engineers are building to uh, anything, they want to feel pride. And if they don't feel pride, then they will underwork. It's, uh, it's, it's just a simple equation. But if they're overworking, and that's very much on management, in my opinion, that's on us to sort out, to have a look at the uh, causes of this. Are we, uh, are we promising too much? Are we overscoping? Are we, uh, yeah, it could be all kinds of reasons. Do we have issues with our development environments? Do we have issues with, uh, with uh, the quality of code? So we've always got so much work in progress that we can never finish one thing. We're always context with So there's so many reasons for this. And I don't think it's exclusive to working from home. I think it is very much a culture issue that uh, we as leaders should be able to address. Oh yeah, I totally agree. But I think the working from home or remote yeah. it made it even harder to, to kind of understand where the limits are or, you know, it was already blurry, let's say for some, especially I'm a workaholic, so I'm totally committing like too many hours into work. And if then you work from home, you might overcommit extra hours you know like maybe at the office i would say one hour extra but you're still at the office so you still kind of it gets dark all the colleagues leave it's a signal that you maybe should also leave but at home you can there's no blocker basically you know you don't have this like oh maybe i should actually start doing something else yeah and uh, as you said uh, elvis before um that we we were so good when we went we all went to remote but when we came to hybrid, uh, then we we did not do proper research, proper study into people's behavior and their uh, their patterns, and uh, and we 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 did not address it. At least in my company, we did not see that you know proper research was done. That they did decide, then they did communicate that we are going to be implementing hybrid model. But it was just that you decide when you want to come to office, and uh, it's up to you. So like one of uh, our engineer, he never came to office, as if uh, you know he's just like he hired remote, but he's not. So so th this has uh, really. Uh, uh, Probably uh, there are already, uh, you know, studies done and, uh, you know, there are some facts and the data is already collected, but uh, I see that there is a huge gap. We we haven't adopted the hybrid fully. We need to do more. Yes, definitely. Taking it back to a point Steve made before, I think it was very insightful because it was actionable. It's something that companies can take forward and implement is that if you go into work remote, you would you align the workers so they're working from home on the same days and then they're in the office on the same days. Let's give a let's give a hypothetical scenario that that's not possible. And we're trying to maintain culture in a hybrid work environment where workers are outsourced, maybe in different countries. Has anybody got any ideas or tips that you may put forward on how culture can still be maintained? Um, I think uh, we should embrace um, a diverse culture in that sense rather than a homogenous one. It, it is very good to have the same culture across all the engineers within a team, but we have to realize the reality that when people are working in other countries, their culture will be different and uh, we shouldn't expect them to conform to something that we dictate. We should just allow them to be. All we, um, all we really want to know is, are you productive? Are you happy? Are you collaborating? Are you giving something 
uh, to the company that you're working for and how we're growing you. And these questions uh, become much simpler when we take culture out of the equation because that means, are you happy? And then that, that conversation comes from uh, one-on-ones and just checking in once in a while, being part of the stand-ups and just getting a sense of the feeling. Just allow them to have a different culture. I don't think we need to unify it. Excellent point. Uh, I have one more uh, point to add to that. Um, I think that's what exactly is missed. And I can really give example from my own. Like when I have my one-to-one with manager, um, often we end up discussing just about the product and you know strategy and planning and uh, building the pipeline and shaping the vision and always, always uh, squared in our discussion. We never go out of it and just check in, like, how are you doing? You know, and and uh, as you said, Steve, we come from different background, different culture, and in my company, we have a pretty diverse team. So they are, uh, you know, located at various locations: Romania, India, and uh, Novosibirsk, for example. And uh, the the uh, I mean, recent the global situation also, uh, you know, it's very sensitive. Like how people respond to like what's happening uh, in uh, you know uh, the war situation, for example, right? People are actually from that location, you know. So how how we bring that uh, 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 empathy and you know that uh, uh, like a human conversation into the team culture where we are not, uh, you know, uh, conversing like we are robots, but we are like uh, individual human beings. Yeah, definitely. Taking it back to some of the points that were raised initially regarding where it, how it's defined and who by, I feel like with it being coming from the owners of the company and it being defined on the shop floor, very much interactive based, I think it's a challenge that we face now, as you say, we can try to, we can try to make it personable on stand-ups, try to get to know the person better. But I think it's definitely a big challenge in the current environment. Oh yeah, and if I may add, actually, I'm an outlier on this case. I don't use one-on-ones to discuss technical stuff. We do that only the first five minutes. As we walk outside of the building, I'm checking how is the, pro- uh, you know, like your current task going and everything. I used to have a colleague that we actually still keep contact. We, he's a musician, or he actually came from a music background. I used to produce music myself. And we were spending all our one-on-ones talking about music. Neither of our one-on-ones had anything to do with the company. Well, they had to, but it was coming from an indirect, relaxed thing, right? We're discussing what we like, what drives us by hearing things like about his history with music and all that. I knew like how much his creative side is important to him and all this kind of thing. So it was very, I mean, of course, you would go and talk about, you know, the interaction with colleagues and everything, but we are doing it from a human like it had nothing to do with the project. It had nothing to do with the team itself. Of course, it's more like these are my colleagues, but it had nothing to do that this is an engineer, this is a designer or whatever. We're just talking how we feel, how things are and things like that. And I tend to kind of keep my one-on-ones more towards that. Of course, you need to do performance as well and set up goals and things. But sometimes I would rather do that as a dedicated, and I was doing that. I was doing that as a dedicated meeting and I still keep the one-on-ones for the human interaction. Yes, definitely. So here at Evolution, we operate a, hy- a hybrid work model too. One thing we took from the Swedish culture is we operate a FICA. We do it twice a week. We have half an hour where you can't discuss work. That's a one rule. You come on and it's just a conversation when you're at home and it's nice to check in with everybody. And it's certainly an aspect that I love. And I think it's definitely a big factor in making it personable, even when you are working remotely and getting to know people on a much better level. So one final question I would say is, how much should we accept overall product organizational culture 
over the overall business culture statement? I'll put this one forward to Steve first. Um, I kind of answered it in my last question in that um, we should allow ourselves to embrace diverse culture. So when we're looking at the overall organizational culture, then they're very uh, generic. I would say, um, that they're just values that we stand by, mostly as human beings, you know, loyalty and compassion and empathy. But when we start diving into the deeper mental cultures, and if I try to put some engineers in uh, our commercial land, for example, they would feel very out of touch. They would feel very uncomfortable with, uh, with uh, just the approaches that maybe the commercial people take. And I've been kind of thinking about this in the fact that uh, technical people tend to come from the collaborative space. It's the same with scientists that tend to uh, work together to provide results and research. Well, with engineers, we tend to work together all the way through, um, all the way from school, all the way through college, university, finally into their job. I find um, other areas of the business tend to be a little bit more competitive. And uh, again, this uh, this kind of culture is embraced because we need it in, the, in the, that area of the business. But uh, I don't think the two would ever work very well together. So I believe um, to some extent we should ring fence the culture a little bit in, in the product organization. We should allow them to just be themselves without having to um, conform to some business orientated culture. As long as uh, they're happy and as long as the outcomes are good, I think uh, I think we're good to go. I would like to add uh, one more thing to this. Um, so again, you know, speaking of my experience, so from the organizational point of view, uh, the, so I'll, I'll take a step back. So when when my company uh, and again taking the example of uh, you know uh, 2020 when COVID happened, uh, the communication that came from the high level of organization about how they were going to be mitigating this uh, this uh, situation by laying off some of the peoples, uh, basically what it did it undermined the trust of the people in the company and and in the in the uh, upper management. And uh, when this trust was shaken, uh, this really crumbled other things as well. And, and I, I clearly remember uh, before COVID, uh, all of us in the company, we were like, uh, we were uh, in a one thread, uh, same thread of like uh, having trust in our leadership. And uh, we were very enthousi enthusiastic about uh, where companies headed in terms of its uh, uh, vision and mission. But when that trust was shaken, it affected other things subsequently later on. So I think that's another thing that if, uh, you know, organizational level, if, if, the, uh, if the culture from the organization level is maintained, it always translates to the, you know, uh, to the team, down to the team level. And that's very crucial. It, it may sound like, a, you know, uh, very uh, less significant word as trust, but uh, in my own experience, I found it, it, it is a greater uh, significant word, which has a lot of impact on people, their spirit, their productivity, and how they align uh, you know, the, their values with the company. Oh, yeah. And Steve, you had an amazing point about different cultures. And that's not, you kind of made it a bit commercial versus product. But I think even within the product, at least it depends on the portfolio of the company. But I've been in a company I was, was having from like front-end developers to Linux kernel developers, as in bad engineers, to you know um, back-end front-end, the typical uh, website, right, like uh, like SaaS or like um, product. And you could see that every engineering team had its own subculture. So you had like the kind of overall engineering culture, but even the teams themselves, there had their own little subcultures things. And then usually like the embedded guys are more, I don't know, geeking out on like very more researchy kind of thing, where we the front-enders are more the 
let's share a meme kind of a thing, you know? So <laughs> it's uh, even that, and then if you encourage it, and in my opinion, you should encourage it because these parallel cultures are actually the glue that connects the rest of the culture together, you know? So it's actually holdings because you, 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 you at least you have your sphere of, of safetyness within your team, even if something else shakes a bit, you still feel very comfortable there. And then you can go and even reach out to one of your colleagues because you know that you're within this culture and then ask them how they feel about the rest. And it kind of contains the gossip, let's say, you know, it's kind of like it, it happens within that little team and team and within that culture. And then usually the culture can even actually diffuse it by, okay, you know, don't panic or like throw a joke because that's your culture. And then everybody relax because there's, that's your thing that you're always taking everything with a, you know, a grain of salt or like all these kind of things. And I think it's very, very important to encourage those. So yeah. There is some, uh, something to said, to be said for an overall culture leaking down into all the, the departments within a company, um, because then it does build trust. And I think as Vishal, you said trust, the trust of management in the rest of the business, the trust in the, the C-suite in the rest of the business. You don't often see, for example, the CEO walking through the product area and just saying hello to everybody. It doesn't happen that often. So therefore the things that we produce, the CEO just sees the outcomes. They don't actually see the people. However, the one thing which companies can always do, and every company has done, is throw the company party because they will all be dancing together on the dance floor at the end. And then we can finally, finally connect and uh, just share ourselves there. And that's an excellent place to do. It's an interesting point you've made there, linking culture to the social aspects that a company a company holds. So would anybody like to take the floor on that one? Give us a little bit more insight. Oh, yeah, I, uh, I actually have a very good insight on this one. Um, because of this hybrid and then, yeah, because of this connect, sometimes we react. I do agree that parties are a very, very good way to socialize, but sometimes some of these, Hey, let's have a pizza on Friday. They seem forced if they are coming from a person that holds a certain, um, power position as in, for instance, me as a team lead, if I say, let's, um, have some pizzas. It maybe doesn't kick in as well if one of the peers from my team. So I would rather go in one of the one-on-ones and ask one of my colleagues, can you please invite everybody for a pizza party, even though it's a delegation, it's a bit sneaky. It's not that sneaky. You know, it's like still a human ask another human, can you please take a lead on this? But because sometimes they do it, they attract much bigger impact, you know, and they, you don't kind of feel that this, this is shoved down, top down kind of, oh, how do we fix the disconnect? Yeah, let's throw pizza at them. Feels more like, hey, I miss you guys. Let's have some pizza together, there, you know? So. What's your take on this one, Bashar? Um, So it was a month ago, we had a summer party, uh, you know, after like two and a half years gap, we didn't have anything. Uh, so when we had this summer party, uh, and of course, uh, we we, uh, we hope that uh, many people would come who are like usually working from home. Many came, but still there were, uh, I would say, 20% people who did not come. But the people who were uh, there in the, in the meeting, all in a single tone, were agreeing to that we are missing this. This is what we used to have. Uh, before when we were all in the office and it was such an amazing opportunity for us to you know just share casual talks and and just uh, drink together and and dance and you know sing together and this is what we used to do before and uh, so with this experience uh, and of course my office manager was like wow this was the big hit and and everybody who were there like 70% of people they really enjoyed and they felt like everybody said this was common experience that wow i felt like these two and a half year in between never happened they were thrown back into that time where we were all connected so this was the impact of this uh, this uh, you know small summer party so I would like uh, that these companies, uh, you know, make it a point to uh, like uh, 
create these these events and and make them so attractive that it pulls people out of their work from home uh, uh you know mode and and bring them to office bring them together and uh, we feel again that one team one mission yes definitely i'd like to take this opportunity to thank the three of you for coming on to the podcast today there's been some great insights and some great input so as i say i'd like to thank vishal Steve and Elvis for your contribution today and providing insights into topics and it's going to make a great listen. If anybody else would like to get involved that's listening to one of our upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at connor.rayland at evolution-nordics.com and I'll see you next time. This was the Evolution Exchange Podcast.